Hello, dear listeners. This is a one-off, first, uh, or possibly not a one-off, uh, a first-of-its-kind podcast, uh, uh, which we are doing on uh, uh, prevailing demand from Twitter users who begged us to record a podcast on uh, Balkan issues and on the uh, Central European issues and V4 issues. Uh, uh, on one end of the uh, of this podcast, this is me, uh, Tvitin Shulimanov. Uh, I'm a journalist from Macedonia. I'm a, a frequent podcaster on uh, Little Listened To <laughs> podcasts uh, uh, about um, Macedonia, about news from Macedonia and the Balkans. And on the other hand, we'll let him uh, introduce himself. We have uh, Zoltan Koskovic. I hope I haven't mangled the, the last name uh, too badly, calling in from uh, Budapest in Hungary. He, it was excellent. I mean, I've never heard a foreigner pronounce Koskovic quite so accurately. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Zoltan Koskovic. I am a geopolitical analyst for the Budapest-based Center for Fundamental Rights. And I would like to say that we are both coming from the right of the political divide and uh, both are dismayed by the uh, developments in uh, both uh, the, our region of the, our part of Europe and uh, the world broader, but it also encouraged and m motivated to uh, not go down quietly and to uh, speak out about what is happening to both our countries, what is being done by uh, both international sources and uh, people at home. Uh, Hungary is still holding strong over the past years, m maybe too strong for the liking of many internationals. <laughs> Macedonia has unfortunately fallen uh, since 2017. It's uh, under de facto a regime, a, a police regime, and uh, supported by the internationals. And uh, uh, it, it's had many misfortunes, too many to count over the, the past years. So this, this is why we, we uh, try to exchange our experiences and uh, see where we can work together and advise at least other countries <laughs> not to go down That's the right. Macedonian That's path right. or go down the Hungarian path. Yeah, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from what happened to you. Uh, yeah, it's it, like you mentioned, uh, it's quite a tragic recent history for Macedonia, a country that, that deserves so much better. Uh, yes, uh, and we are conservatives, and uh, I have to tell our listeners that there's reason to be optimistic. I know many people are pessimistic and it's especially difficult to be optimistic in Macedonia, but, uh, but we are not lost. This is not a lost cause. Uh, I think that there is a conservative renaissance in Europe and there is one across the Atlantic as well. Uh, in the United States, the uh, national populist wing of the Republican Party is getting stronger and stronger and more and more popular as the technocratic postmodern left in the face of uh, Joe Biden mm -hmm. is virtually destroying the American economy and society. So there, there's hope, there's always hope. But of course, this the topic of this podcast is not uh, the larger picture, but the regional picture. So I, I guess we should move there. As the Balkans, <clears throat> I like to call it the heart of European history because the most crucial important events often take place on the Balkans, right? And from this point of view, what happens in Macedonia, what happens in Serbia, what happens in Croatia are extremely important. 
yes, we have been a very important region in the past uh, for good. Obviously, the Balkans has been the driver of uh, uh, culture, of industry, of uh, civilization for, for so long. And more recently, we have not been that prominent in uh, uh, leading the world uh, toward progress, as we have in the past, <laughs> but we are, we are actually very prominent in, in dragging the world back, <laughs> uh, starting wars and uh, expa- exporting our, um, how shall we say, our uh, pathologies to, to the whole of Europe. I, I, I like to joke now that uh, mm-hmm. the first world war started, obviously, um, between this path on one hand we had Serbia and on the other hand Austria or Austro-Hungary <laughs> and now we are uh, in this, on this verge of uh, uh, disturbances caused by the vaccinations, by the overall inflation and economic collapse and we, we might actually see the Serbs pull it off again and start a confrontation not with Austria this time but with Australia <laughs> over there. <laughs> so it will be very good, very interesting if, if, if the Balkans uh, would be able to start... Uh, to yeah, the war drums Australia. are very much beating in Australia, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, that's and I, I'm also rather suspicious that it would be easy for them to confuse Serbia with Macedonia. <laughs> yes. They are too close. What do you think about this whole Djokovic thing, by the way? I tried to not follow it because all my life was Serbian drama. Like, mm-hmm. uh, all my life was... Uh, formulated by some stupid thing a Serbian has done in my in my time it was you know the wars in Croatia in Bosnia in Kosovo uh, the mishandling mm-hmm. of the economy in the Yugoslavia I've had my fill obviously people, <laughs> <Okay>. people <in laughs> I, I can certainly yeah. understand that <laughs> you know it's uh, like weird yes in on one uh, and this is another Serbian drama but on the other hand, the Australians are once again proving themselves to be a prison colony, right? <laughs> yes. so, so this yeah. is bringing out the worst in, in all of us. And uh, I hope that we can get over this pandemic sooner rather than later. But yes, This I... needs to end because this is bringing out the worst in everybody. To be yes, honest. And the more I hear about the actions of uh, Novak Djokovic, the less I like him. My first original uh, instinct is basically always to support anybody from a neighboring country yes. to Hungary because I'm kind of a local patriot. I like mm-hmm. this part of the world and Australia is far away. But uh, I, I don't know about that whole thing about his supposed COVID, having COVID or not having COVID, but having press meetings with COVID. So, yeah, it's the, the whole thing is bringing out the entire pandemic is bringing out the worst out of basically everybody. Yes. Uh, we, uh, I mean, I got vaccinated. I you know, followed the rules initially, but then I quickly got dismayed by how uh, the left, especially how the um, American government, the Australian government, okay, they're nominally conservative. The New mm-hmm. Zealand government, governments across Europe are um, using this situation to uh, divide their own societies in the great unwashed uh, usually this term is applied to the conservative rubes to the you know working class to the working people and the enlightened elite who got vaccinated on time twice three times getting ready for a fourth time and uh, uh, follow the rules so i can sense that there is a strong drive to um, to try to divide the society i guess the 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 elitists 
have estimated that the majority of the people will follow the rules and um, that they will be able to use this for political purposes. We've seen this in Macedonia. We would have like unknown organizations organize an anti-vax protest. Uh, and mm -hmm. then the, the left will make sure to infiltrate a few people with symbols, with flags, uh, with po posters, which would clearly denote them as conservatives, as people on the right. And we'll have them say something extremely stupid, like, you know, they're spraying us with COVID, they're uh, trying to kill us all, uh, great replacement, uh, some, some kind of, uh, you know, nutty theory espoused by these people. And then immediately the next morning it will be, uh, look, we have 60-70% of the people who support the policy on, on vaccination and on restrictions, and look at these nutters from the right, how they're acting. And we have something similar now with, with Djokovic. Right, yeah. Okay, uh, I think uh, people should get vaccinated. So, uh, I, I would, I don't know if we could say anything to convince any of our listeners one way or another. Everybody should probably make up their own minds based on, on who they believe in. And my recommendation in this case is to pick somebody or some organization that you believe and follow their advice because none of our us are immunologists or virologists, mm -hmm. right? I, I my pick is the Hungarian health authorities. So I yes. do what they uh, they recommend, and uh, that's a choice for myself. But I think everybody who is listening to this should pick somebody they trust and listen to them and follow their advice. That would be the best. I'm thrice vaccinated. Uh, I don't want to get a fourth shot at all. Uh, but, you know, this thing hasn't gone away. And um, as far as dividing people, wasn't it always uh, the tactic of the left to divide us into the unwashed and yeah. the progressives, those who understand, the, the smart people, Our the business. high elves of society? It was always <laughs> the tactics, tactics they used, right? Yes, yes. And I, I like to avoid going into medical conspiracy theories, but just stick to the political one. I'm not going into the stories that they're trying to put a chip into us or that uh, they want to kill us off in one fell swoop. Yes, there are some crazy theories, yeah. I think. But I yes, like, but I, I absolutely follow this when I see that Biden is saying, we have given you enough time to get vaccinated and uh, no more, you know, uh, this ends now, you have to be back. This is, you know, over the top for me. Yeah, but okay, but they should stop calling themselves liberal, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, forced medical procedure and liberalism, they don't mix. The Russians have a saying about this I like to uh, quote quite often. Uh, Dear lady, either take off the cross or put on some pants. Uh -huh. So the two, two things don't mix <laughs> yes. very well. Yes, yes. You, you are either a liberal or you force medical procedures on people. Yes. <laughs> and in the name of common good, in the case of a much more dangerous infection, I myself would not be against mandatory vaccination, by mm -hmm. the way. But then I am not a liberal. Yes, we are the so, illiberals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> quite illiberal when it comes to the common good <laughs> let's put it that way but somebody who calls himself a liberal is uh, George Soros isn't he and yes. he is quite active in the region in fact uh, we can pretty much blame him for what transpired recently in Macedonia yes do you agree oh absolutely uh, completely astroturfed engineered colored revolution uh, 
which he has been, uh, which is actually the second time he has done it. Once was in 2000, 2001, when the first time the conservatives were in power. So practically what happened is that uh, uh, this person has uh, infiltrated, uh, he, 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 he co-opted uh, uh, the elites of the communist regime, of the socialist regime in Yugoslavia, mm -hmm. the professors, the police, a lot of the police structures, uh, people from culture, uh, like drama, theater, directors, uh, writers, etc., journalists, and with uh, relatively modest grants for his network, obviously large sums of money for Macedonia, for a poor country like Macedonia, like five, ten million dollars a year, uh, were enough to practically form a link between people who were otherwise, even before, before uh, in communist, have been linked since communist times, and activates them whenever conservatives are in charge in Macedonia formed the government. The first time was a wiretapping scandal in 2000, mm -hmm. which led to the 2001 war, which badly wounded Macedonia, a civil war between the Macedonians and the Albanians. The second one was yeah. a very similar disturbance in 2015, again started with wiretaps, again included Albanian terrorist guerrilla attacks on Macedonia of a smaller scale than 2001. And again, it led to the toppling of a conservative government and subsequent massive arrests of people who were prominent or even mid-level uh, officials of the conservative government and a complete takeover of power for the second time in our, since our independence. Uh, it doesn't even have new methods, right? It's just wiretapping scandal and wiretapping scandal. Yes, yes. There's basically there's no need to change it the playbook a decade on. It just seems to work. The other thing I've noticed is that they love to use the minorities, right? Yes. It's, and it doesn't matter for them whether they are on the side of the minority or against the minority, but they love to use it. It's just a political tool for them to get to power. In Macedonia, uh, they had to have the uh, Albanian minority in order to overthrow the conservative uh, system, the conservative yes. government. Uh, on their side, and so they cozy it up to the Albanians, and suddenly minority rights was a huge, uh, great uh, uh, standard-bearing issue for them. And then if you uh, look at the most uh, famous recent color revolution in Ukraine, mm -hmm. then they turned against the largest minority of Russians, yeah. <laughs> and they uh, described them as a threat to Ukraine's democratic choice, and... Uh, a dangerous fifth column of the Russian Federation within Ukraine. And there's some truth to that, mm. by the way. But uh, I just want to indicate that uh, the, if the minority is there, they have an option to side with the minority or to side with the majority population against the minority. And they will not care what, which option they choose. Just yeah. the one that is best suits their purposes. And this is yeah. quite cynical. Yes, we have the usual political divide of a European right. country or a Western country of the urban elites and the rural and small town, small city conservatives. And uh, as a still, to a large degree, rural country Macedonia has, uh, in Macedonia, the conservative side, the unwashed side is, signif is significantly larger mm. than the uh, urban elitists uh, uh, who support the left. But this is only speaking about ethnic Macedonians, about ethnic Albanians. Uh, they can side with each side 
of the divide, but they're obviously more comfortable, like in the US, like in uh, Britain, like in France. The minorities are more comfortable siding with the left, can extract uh, more concessions from the weaker, from the smaller faction of the majority population. So if the left, if the right is bigger than the left, the Macedonian right is bigger than the Macedonian left, it can seize power almost by itself. If the Macedonian left is smaller and weaker, it desperately needs the minorities and the minorities can easily cash in on this. And hence we have now a deputy prime minister who is Albanian, who has veto power over government decisions. We have for the first time ever the foreign ministry is led by an ethnic Albanian at a time when we are negotiating uh, the identity of ethnic Macedonians. So this crucial issue which touches on my yeah. identity uh, and does not touch on the ethnic Albanian's identity because he has a separate, we share the citizenship, but we are not negotiating about his Albanian identity. We are negotiating about the Macedonian identity, whether we are Macedonians or uh, whether we were always Bulgarians, as Bulgaria wants uh, us to teach our children. So this crucial negotiation is being led by an ethnic Albanian who does not care about this. So the concessions we've made, uh, not, not to mention the financial concessions which these Albanian uh, parties are able to wring out to the mm. point that we will have a very likely a minority Macedonian, a government in which ethnic Macedonians who are 63, 64% of the country, will uh, not be a majority of the government, will be even in the government, evenly represented with the Albanians who are like 20, 25%, which is ludicrous. And uh, it's, so it's an absurdity, yes. Yes, which draws enormous financial resources toward Albanian municipalities. So there are Albanian villages who do not pay electricity and there is no way to force them to do it. Highway construction, funding goes into their, into Albanian, uh, into the Albanian region, etc. And um, this, and this on top of the ethnic humiliation dished out to the Macedonians. So, you know, Hungary, I know it lost its, its minorities due to the tragedy of Trianon, but at the moment, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that the country does not have... Any and many Hungarians as well. Yes. yes. Uh, but the fact yeah. that it does not have right. a minority so. now means that, uh, uh, you know, the, the right can assume power, while in our case, uh, a significant minority practically blocks the will of the majority, people of the majority nation from being expressed. Yeah, but the solution, let me tell you from experience, is not to partition the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so many millions of Hungarians were left beyond our borders. And I don't think there's any uh, Hungarian who thinks that having a, an almost mono-ethnic uh, country yes. as a result was was worth that price. Uh, it's, it remains a, a national tragedy for Hungary, but one that we've largely managed to incorporate into our consciousness and live with it. Yes. So, yeah, uh, it's a, an extremely weird situation, but uh, let's talk a little bit more about these crucial negotiations that... And an Albanian vice premier is conducting with Bulgaria. Mm. It's basically about you having any prospect of joining the European Union, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, and previous, previously, uh, there was there were very tough negotiations with Greece about joining NATO, and that came at a huge price. That from the outside, I thought the Macedonian public, Macedonian public, did not support at all. 
based on the results of that referendum, where only 35, 36, less than 40 yeah. percent of the people chose to vote. And more than half of them vote. were Albanians, of those who voted in favor. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is almost like an outside takeover of uh, Macedonia. It's not almost like, it's like an outside takeover of Macedonia. So what do you think uh, Soros wants to achieve with this? Um, I mean, uh, who knows what, other than being in power, than having his people remain in power, he has not been very consistent in his policies. We remember he went from being a complete... Uh, peacenik, uh, uh, enemy of, uh, uh, let's say, the neoconservative American, strong American foreign policy, to now being practically demanding a war with Russia. So he does not have a, a, a defined position on uh, uh, whether this should be a strong America-led global world. Uh, we have not seen him being uh, consistent on issues of uh, totalitarianism within a country. So we, we remember when the Soros network was opposing the, let's say, the Patriot Act in the US, the rendition programs of, in which Macedonia was famously included. There was a famous court case when we kidnapped a wrong Arab person and delivered him yeah. to the Americans so, to tor for torture in Afghanistan and the poor person, uh, you know, we got the wrong guy. So this was a big cause celebre for the Soros network. Now we have the same network insisting on vaccine passports and complete, you know, surveillance of uh, people using the FBI, CIA, uh, intelligence services across the world for their benefit. So there is not a consistent policy in the economy. Uh, we, I mean, I think he makes it up as he goes along, whatever serves his financial interests. Um, in the case of Macedonia, uh, he has supported uh, keeping the left in power, and um, um, since at one, uh, uh, since for a very long time the left and the right were largely uh, unanimous in the in the statement that mm -hmm. uh, what Greece demands from us to abandon our history, to abandon our identity, to change our name, um, that we should not be called Macedonians. Greece is doing this because the Macedonians suffered a similar tragedy to Trianon the partition of Bucharest in 1913, in which uh, large chunks of Macedonia, uh, what we call Aegean Macedonia, inhabited, which was majority ethnic Macedonian until mm. the 1920s, until the Greeks had resettled it with Greeks expelled from Turkey. Uh, so this huge region, which includes the city of Solon, Thessaloniki, and uh, uh, the most uh, fertile lands of, which, of now northern Greece, um, so the Greeks wanted to stop the establishment of an independent Macedonian state because they feared that Macedonians, who they have forcibly assimilated, forced to study in the Greek language, uh, mm -hmm. intermixed with uh, Greek settlers among them, um, they feared that the Macedonian ethnic state will rile up uh, this uh, population. Serbia obviously did not want us to become independent. It wanted to keep us under its thumb. Bulgaria also uh, hopes that because there are narrow differences ethnically and linguistically, that they will be able to expand their influence to Macedonia by um, uh, instilling in us an idea that we were Bulgarians but lost this uh, idea, mm -hmm. lost this consciousness under Serbian rule. Uh, and... Um, 
So the left supported this position that we have to say no to the Greeks for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, Somewhere around 2008, around the Bucharest-NATO summit, when Greece blocked us from joining, the left changed this policy completely and said, okay, we now accept that we need to join NATO no matter what, and we have to accept the Greek demands. The right said this is ludicrous and uh, picked up the standard of Macedonian national identity and having a Macedonian nation state on its own, alone. And as a result, Soros, who has in the past supported uh, campaigns uh, condemning Greece for, as being irrational, overly nationalist, trying to destroy a Balkan country after all the decades of Balkan wars, practically reignite the wars, etc. Uh, he habitually sided with the left and after at times mildly su being supportive of having a Macedonian nation state, completely swung to the side of uh, of the left and of now declaring the Macedonian conservatives as, as irrational, irrational for trying to preserve their identity. So at the moment, this is subject to change, he has not been consistent, but at the moment the US government, uh, which goes hand in glove with Soros and the Soros network, uh, have supported a policy of uh, undermining Macedon the Macedonian nation state to the benefit of Albanian minorities and all our neighboring countries. They are far more, uh, not far less ready to accept the very similar Bulgarian demands, which are very similar to the Greek demands, essentially, mm -hmm. for some reason, probably because they're now in power in Macedonia and Bulgaria blocking their beloved, you know, left-wing liberal government here uh, does not suit well with them especially when Bulgaria was under conservative government until recently. So we have a completely non... Uh, uh, a swing from uh, saying that we need to accept all Greek demands, that the Macedonian patriots are nationalists and ir irrational. Now we are hearing some voices from these circles saying, no, now the Bulgarians are irrational, we need to stand firm, which is just confusing everybody <laughs> because there is no consistency in the messaging. Right, right. A lot of people seem to think that Soros is all about the money, but but I think that you've touched on what he really wants uh, to achieve. And I think his uh, ideological drive, the dogma that drives his life, is that he wants to fight against the nation-state. Mm -hmm. The very concept of, of a nation run by its people. Uh, and there, there could be many reasons. I don't want to to dwell too much into his psychology. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know him personally, but we know that he had an eventful life. Let's put it that way. And I think that's a that's a diplomatic way of putting it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I can see reasons uh, in that for him to hate the idea of a nation state. And I think that's why yes, he is trying to destabilize. Uh, Governments that uh, are governing based on nat national sovereignty and people's sovereignty, their own people's mm -hmm. sovereignty. And that's what's happening. That's the one consistent thing that he's doing. Uh, that's why he supports uh, mass uncontrolled migration. That's why his NGOs organize and assist these migrant flows. That's why he uses the minorities within the countries to destabilize the country. I mean, uh, his European Stability Initiative, 
I'm, I'm sure you've heard about that. Yeah. That must be a very familiar thing to you. I mean, that was one of the one of his organizations that pushed the name change, right? Yes. But but on the other hand, this is the same organization that that was adamant that the Serbian Kosovo uh, territorial swap swap mm-hmm. should not happen, which would have uh, put the Serbian uh, Kosovars into Kosovo and uh, uh, no, the Serbian Kosovars uh, into, into Serbia, Serbia and the Serbian Kosovars into uh, Kosovo. Simply. Yeah, simplifying the whole layout ethnically yeah. and ending some of the uh, ethnic tension there. And he refused to, to go along with that. He wrote a very, or the organization, sources organization, wrote a very angry letter at the EU commission not to do this. Yes. Why? Because he needs minorities for tensions. That's what I think. Uh, so he's a very nefarious uh, character. And this is why I'm quite worried about his Open Balkans uh, initiative, yes. which, which uh, on the first sight does not seem to be a very stupid idea. The idea is that uh, the uh, countries in the Balkans region, three countries right now, Serbia, Macedonia and Albania, yes. should basically be more open for economic cooperation, easy to work uh, in, on each other's territory, and easier to uh, trade and so uh, these things make sense from an economic yeah. point of view. What's the real danger in it? What do you think? Well, uh, I mean, uh, we uh, were forced to change the name of the country and, ex- and give up chunks of our history to join NATO, which nobody really cared about in Macedonia, and to join the EU. This was the second portion of the promise. It was literally in the referendum question which some people did consider, okay, it will be good, we'll get some funding for infrastructure, uh, we'll, at least we'll be able to escape and travel to Germany, uh, work in Germany. Uh, and once this mm-hmm. request was blocked by France initially, now by Bulgaria, it was a tremendous humiliation for Zaev. This is why he's practically resigning now. And uh, a huge defeat for the policies of uh, uh, the liberals, the US government, the EU, uh, people like... ESI, you know, Soros, etc. Um, so they immediately came up with this new initiative, which it's not even a consolation prize. It's like being offered a Ferrari and then in the end given one of those, uh, okay, you missed on the Ferrari, let's give you a, uh, a used uh, scooter. Uh, <laughs> you have to buy your own helmet. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But still, mm-hmm. the US government has now joined uh, in promoting this initiative. Um, Alexander Soros comes, is a regular visitor to the summits of this initiative, which now happened every few months. It was initially called the Mini Schengen Initiative, and they quickly changed the name to the Open Balkan, which you can notice that the word open in the name, you know, we can all guess where the idea to use this adjective came from. Surprise, surprise, yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know why Serbia is going along with this. They see some nationalists, I guess, uh, uh, benefits from this, so they practically would be able to exert more influence over Macedonia, uh, which they consider, in a case of a territorial swap, there is a, a strong push to include Kosovo in this deal. And Kosovo is re- resisting this because it says we're going to put ourselves in an uh, economic union, but as we know from the experience of the EU, it quickly develops into a political union, sort of a new Yugoslavia, which would be likely dominated by Serbia, and uh, we are exposing ourselves to the danger of territorial border changes. 
which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, in which case, Macedonia would be obviously be next. If Serbia and Albania divide Kosovo, you know, then the next logical step is, you know, why not divide yes, Macedonia? Yes. <laughs> I, I can see why that would be, a, <laughs> why that would raise red flags, as it's yes. now Twitter to, uh, popular to say on Twitter. Yes, yes, I, yes. I can fully see that. Uh, what strikes me as idiotic about the whole plan is that we all know the very serious anger between the Albanians and the Serbs. Why would anybody imagine that right now even just an economic union of Albania and Serbia or Albania and Serbia within this single economic union or organization would be a very good idea? I mean, they don't trust each other. Let's, yeah, let's make that clear. Yeah, there's no reason for any of them uh, to trust the other. So there's been, it's, this conflict, has, ethnic conflict has a long, long history. Didn't just start in the 90s with yeah. Kosovo. Yes. And the benefits are also minuscule. I mean, Macedonia was part of Yugoslavia with Serbia and Kosovo. Our economy is fully integrated, especially with the Serbian economy. And we have very little more to extra to offer to ourselves if we cut, you know, waiting time for trucks by another hour. It's already very short. I mean, I do not pine for having a visa permit to work in Albania. Uh, what we would benefit from is economic union with countries which are... Uh, finance rich, but you know, deindustrializing, looking for places to out outsource their industrial base. So we need to be aligned with uh, Austria or uh, Switzerland or even uh, uh, or Greece. I mean, this is uh, where we have beneficial exchange. We have very little to offer to each other. It's uh, obviously a political development. Obviously, a move in which uh, Soros hopes to prop up the two very friendly governments in this uh, uh, region, Edi Rama's government in uh, Tirana and uh, Zoran Zaev's now soon to be Dimitar Kovacevsky's government in Macedonia, and to in some way keep uh, Serbia is playing along, I guess maybe they got up, got fed, fed up with all their drama, always going against the powerful world elites, or maybe see an opening for them to exert influence on uh, Macedonia. Bulgaria is now getting visibly afraid from this initiative because mm -hmm. they fear that they have overplayed their hand. They hope that they're going to pressure Macedonia into accepting a very sudden, very rapid rewriting of our history of what we teach our children, adoption of Bulgarian uh, history uh, narratives, etc. And, uh, and they now see that the downside of the, of the veto they imposed on us for EU membership is that we're actually moving toward this initiative, which could put us back under the Serbian uh, town, mm -hmm. under Serbian rule. Um, Soros would get a, a good, solid, not spectacular, but okay, economic um, opportunities in this region to, as he controls the governments. He would get an, an, uh, an excellent opportunity. This is a region which is the base for migrant smuggling. And we, as you mentioned, we, know, we see obviously that, this, that uh, his network uh, they're obsessed with uh, reigniting, uh, keeping open the migrant flow. So Macedonia was a crucial country in this flow. Uh, Serbia yeah. was, we were able to close the border with great help from Hungary, from Austria in 2016. Uh, he would now have an opening, a possibility to open it, to open a new border uh, through a new flow through Albania uh, to Italy. It's very difficult to, to patrol this uh, stretch of the Adriatic and the Ionian Sea. 
So it would have a lot of uh, financial and political benefits other than what is obviously a god complex. We like to play god and remodel countries and uh, play like uh, risk, uh, a board game with mm. <laughs> such as risk in, in real life. <laughs> yeah. The, the way that you've just described the situation, the Serbian-Bulgarian rivalry, rivalry has really nothing changed in a hundred years. <laughs> so, yeah. And this is why uh, I think it was important to replace the conservative government in Macedonia as soon as possible, because they were in power for, what, 10 years, over 10 years uh, by the time yeah, that they were years, replaced? Yes. 10 years. Yes. 10 years is enough to, to turn a country around and start developing into a, uh, on a better track yes. towards a more stable uh, nationhood. Uh, and over time, both Bulgaria and Serbia would have had just to make peace with the fact that, yes, there is a Macedonia with Macedonian people living in it who speak Macedonian. Yes, it may be understandable by both the Bulgarians and by the Serbians, but it's still a Macedonian language and it's just there. In the 21st century, we did change a little bit from 100 years ago. Uh, it's not uh, comme il faut anymore to just mm. simply attack other countries just like that. Yeah. And if everybody gets used to the fact that there is a Macedonia that is perhaps developing economically, offering better and better opportunities for its citizens, that everybody would have just calmed down after a time. But, but if, not if you allow the left to come into power and start meddling with everything once again. And, and from this point of view, it would have been important for you not to concede on the name issue. On the one hand, why would a country be forced to take up a name it doesn't want it's stupid but more importantly if you stand hard on uh, this principle then again countries will just eventually get used to the fact that you are there and you are a sovereign nation it's a small nation it will certainly not attack either bulgaria or serbia or never mind greece but for this you need stability you need uh, good governance good government uh, for, for a quite a long time, and that had to be stopped. And one of the ways to stop this was the colorful revolution, I believe they are called. It's, I mean, with the name, the cho choosing of the name they are throwing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> colorful revolution. Yeah. But don't call it a color revolution. It was a people's movement for freedom, democracy, and progress, right? Yes, it's... Uh... It completely backfired in the end, even, uh, you know, the left still has a strong anti-Bulgarian tinge here. I mean, they, they were developed mm. uh, during Yugoslav times. They were the pro-Serbian faction. Uh, mm -hmm. They were dominated by Belgrade. They subverted Macedonia. Lit what little Macedonian independence we had in under Yugoslavia to, uh, to Belgrade. And uh, now it's a huge... Uh, they, they, were, they were happy to give away portions of history. Uh, as enlightened good Europeans, such, they, they would say we don't care about ancient history, Alexander. We don't care about the medieval period when Macedonia was uh, a cultural beacon for all Slavic countries. We don't care about the national liberation struggle against the Ottomans period of the 19th century, the 20th century. Um, this is all associated with the nationalists, with Vomero, with the right. Uh, mm -hmm. What uh, we care about is the partisan struggle. So there was a low-level guerrilla warfare 
um, which was then at the end co-opted by the Communist Party during the Second World War against Bulgaria. <laughs> so this was the most glorious part of history that the left cared about. So they were very cavalier in giving away everything else to Greece uh, and to Bulgaria as the talks progressed. And at one point, Bulgaria says, okay, thank you for the medieval period, which you're obviously willing to give us. Thank you for the Vimero national liberation period. But we are very angry at how you describe our uh, unfortunate history during the Second World War. So we would like you to also erase from the history textbooks uh, the partisan communist struggle, because you keep saying that you fought the fascist Bulgaria, and we don't like that expression. You keep blaming us for the Holocaust carried out in uh, Macedonia. <laughs> and now the left is like, oh, wow, what have we done? <laughs> we, are, uh, we, are, we have to give away the one bit of history we care about. And now they're calling on us on the right to stand up. They, they, some of them are saying we, we have to reject these nationalist demands from Bulgaria. We have to stand up for our country, protect our history after they gave up everything that makes us a true uh, autochthonous European nation. We gave up on the origin of the uh, first kingdoms of the classical period under mm -hmm. Alexander, etc. We gave up on the medieval period. So we are practically a rootless um, group of individuals who do not have culture, who do not, do not have history, thanks to our left. But now we have to uh, uh, lay on the bulwarks and defend the the minor skirmishes of the partisan communist guerrillas in uh, 1942-1943, and they're turning to us on the right for, <laughs> for help. It's a very comical development, very schadenfreudian <laughs> development for us, and it especially angers the left as, it, as the demand uh, comes from Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very satisfying uh, uh, failure, I mean, among the many failures of the colored revolution, which includes the promises that they will clean up, fight corruption. Their chief prosecutor, uh, Laura Covesi type person, is now in prison after uh, lauded as a fighter against crime when it was revealed that she herself is the epitome of crime and extortion. So all the other promises of the colored revolution failed, the EU membership, the fight against corruption, uh, the li raising of living standards, we're now in a tremendous inflation and uh, and uh, energy crisis, uh, and but but the sweetest for me failure, you know, the most satisfying failure, uh, was precisely this policy toward Bulgaria, how humiliated the few mm -hmm. principled people on the left now are, the principled, uh, you know, who, who still adhere to some, what they would call principles of the, of the anti-fascist uh, struggle of the Second World War. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, national liberation struggle, as they called it. <laughs> it's a little bit weird from the outside to hear about these discussions. You know, I mean, uh, I, uh, to be honest, I don't understand the Bulgarians mm -hmm. at, uh, at this juncture. It's, we, it's a well-known fact that Hungary and Bulgaria were on the same side in that war. And it's also a well-known and established fact that we were on the bad side. Yeah. of the war. I don't know that the Yugoslavian communists were a good side. I don't think communism is ever good, but they were certainly not worse than the Nazis. Yeah. So in this sense, why open this up and try to relitigate it from a position of perceived power as the mm -hmm. Bulgarians 
seem to be doing it is arrogance on their part yeah that's uh, all i can see but yes the, the way that you explained how how your country has been systematically stripped of its history is uh, is a quite dangerous phenomenon and i think uh, that we are starting to see something very similar going on uh, not yet in central europe but in western europe and northern america north america the uh, this seems to be a deliberate method of the postmodern left to try to strip a culture of its own history or if that's not possible then turn society against its own history i mean the greatest heroes of uh, american independence are described as as horrible monsters mm. uh, the greatest heroes of of british history churchill even the one who saved the british isles from the nazis is described as a monster and this is this seems to be another thing that that is deliberate and maybe it was tried out first on the macedonians or maybe it just happened in macedonia mm. and then soros and gang saw that okay this is a tactic that can work yes Yes, they were throwing paintballs on monuments of Macedonian heroes. They would accuse the Grevsky conservative government of uh, provoking our neighbors by erecting monuments to our uh, history. Or, you know, they would rename a street that the left would name after, I don't know, Salvador Allende. <laughs> what are, what's our cultural <laughs> connection with, with uh, Chilean socialists? <laughs> uh, and, you know, we would uh, give it the proper name of a Macedonian national liberation hero. Uh, and the curious part was, as you mentioned, um, during these alleged provocations on our side toward Greece, toward Bulgaria, uh, there was very little anger between the nations because, you know, the Greek government realized, okay, the stronger we push Gruevsky, he'll just respond by putting a few more monuments. And we'll end up looking like idiots that we cannot exert our will on a very small country. So yeah. better not raise this issue in the Greek press. Once he puts a monument, let's publish it once, twice, and ignore it. Uh, once they perceived, they felt the utter weakness of the Zayev regime on the national issues, uh, it became a very cheap and easy point for, let's say, Bulgarian nationalists. There is one party in the government, a small party, which practically lived on giving provocative statements to Macedonia every day. And sometimes it would be, the response would be silence on the Macedonian side, and they would say this is a triumph. Other times they would force Zayev to make some concessions, some small concession, and again they would triumph. And then Macedonian people would respond by shouting obscenities at Bulgarians online. Bulgarians will respond. I, I like to cut out uh, dates in Twitter and do a search on common words of hatred between us and uh, go to, let's say, national holidays, like, let's say the liberation of Skopje the, in the Second mm. World War, which is a day which provokes this type of commentary. And I would uh, point to the fact that under Gruevsky, there was very little uh, anger between the two nations expressed online, uh, even though this was allegedly the height of provocation and nationalism. And now under Zayev, under the uh, peaceful liberal, open-minded, tolerant uh, regime we have now, acceptant of all demands of our neighbors. You know, people are actually going at each other's throats and using slurs that I have forgotten we, we had about <laughs> each other. Mm -hmm. So it's a very curious development. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, uh, let's talk about the EU. Uh, trying to get to the EU has been the greatest foreign political uh, ambition of Macedonia. Yeah. Can I use that? Because it seems from the outside. How do you feel? How optimistic are you that uh, that you will be allowed to join? Oh, just very. Nobody's considering this anymore as a as a real realistic option. Yeah. So, I mean, Hungary is trying to work very hard on uh, on Western Balkan yeah. integration, at the, as it's the popular name within the EU of this process. Mm-hmm. Of course, Oliver uh, Van is the Hungarian commissioner for uh, EU uh, expansion. <coughs> but uh, as hard as they are working on it, as, as much as uh, the Hungarian government would like to see further integration, uh, Serbia, Macedonia, Montenegro, and the current atmosphere. I don't think that's that's uh, possible in the short run or in the medium run even. How angry are you about the quite frankly the lies that Brussels have been feeding you? <laughs> how's how's that uh, meme? I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> mm. uh, well, I mean, we had. I think the worst stage was in about 2008 when we were first blocked by the Greeks for NATO membership, and then. I think most of us processed it then, that we are, okay, this is never going to happen. Um, we were shocked at the level of humiliation uh, that Greek diplomats, politicians would be able to issue at Macedonians, and we would sometimes see these repeated by EU commissioners, by officials. They would like, people would literally come, I would attend a meeting, let's say, with the president of Macedonia, and we would spend 95% of the time answering questions, but okay, but weren't you, uh, but you're Slavic, how can you associate with Alexander? Instead of discussing infrastructure, economy, integration. Uh, Normal people, seemingly normal people, would go into deep dives of of genetics and, uh, you know, bloodlines. It was Mm -hmm. surreal at times. And under Gruevsky, we said, okay, fine, this is never going to happen, but there is a very comfortable place on the margin of the EU. So you cut taxes, you secure visa-free travel regime, not necessarily work permits. Uh, you bring in uh, European companies in Macedonia, which was done under him in a spectacular fashion with uh, pre-built factories practically just offering them to manufacturing companies trying to replicate the Hungarian success in manufacturing, uh, in bringing in automotive uh, suppliers into the country. For overnight, we developed uh, practically an automotive industry, which we never had. Uh, we drastically slashed unemployment, and we were, f- we were feeling good about ourselves, since we, we knew that we are doing it by ourselves. It's not a present, it's not gifted grants from the EU. Uh, and um, we were open to trying some other alternative approaches for infrastructure, since the EU was not giving us the money it would give to Greece or it would give to Bulgaria. So we turned to China. China (laughs) gave us not grants, but easy loans to start building highways. Uh, And uh, no environmental, political demands linked. So it's just, you know, it's just a... A business. Yes, very, very commonsensical approach. And we turned to Russia to supply us with gas, which is a a big issue for us because we, most of the country is still not connected to gas, just the capital of Skopje has some heating, uh, rudimentary form of central heating with gas. The rest of the country uses wood, 
so we are energy poor. We are, it's a very badly polluted place at winter. Mm-hmm. And then the Americans came and they said, no, you're not allowed to buy Russian gas. Uh, you are allowed to undersive. <laughs> so these are no <laughs> benefits. This is our exchange with the West. <laughs> so they tell us you can't uh, have the Russians build a pipeline and give you money and give you a preferential gas price because at uh, at a while when Bulgaria was opposed to the South Stream project, there was an option that it goes through Macedonia, giving us yeah. the right to potentially block deliveries to Austria if we are not satisfied. So you know, tremendous polit- geopolitical clout plus money, plus ability to dictate the price, at least for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. said no, but we'll give you another offer. You pay hundreds of millions of dollars to the Greeks, and Greeks are going to build a gas power plant for themselves. You, are like, you own like a quarter of this plant, and we will supply the Greeks with LNG gas, and you will get some of the electricity. <laughs> I mean, so now we are funding the Greeks, the poorest country in the Balkans. We are paying to the richest country in the Balkans to develop. And there's a lot of trust, of course, between Macedonia and Greece. I mean, the the countries just love each other and they would just like to help. Yes, They will definitely deliver the electricity at the price that was agreed, that we pay pay for in advance. (laughs) Well, first of all, you need to have uh, lower prices on the Asian markets because as long as uh, gas is uh, so highly priced on the Asian markets, unfortunately, the Russian LNG, uh, the American LNG is going yes, to the Asian market, and you are obviously not allowed to buy Russian gas. Of how would how would you think that you could possibly buy Russian? Of course, we are they're reducing supplies. I mean, I'm, I'm in my sweater right now and, and with a blanket at home. Mm. Then uh, infrastructure, we said, okay, they, they told us you can't use the Chinese funds. Uh, we said, okay, do we get something from the EU? They say, perhaps. So then we get uh, uh, tricked by the EU for EU membership accession talks. So we say to Zaf, okay, at least you can negotiate from this position after you lied to us about EU membership. At least, you know, use this moment of sympathy. Maybe they're feeling bad that they lied to you. Just go ask for infrastructure spending from the let's build a few highways then with their money it's a common sense approach this this would be a classical move by Gruevsky had he gone down the road of making concessions with Greece and by, uh, by the way just sorry for breaking in but improving the infrastructure especially when we're speaking about highways or railways in Macedonia is in European Union's interest yes. it is in our interest we uh, Greece is uh, positioned weirdly from the point of view of the European Union, it just hangs there. Yes. And we need as much uh, good infrastructure towards Greece as we can possibly on the Western Balkans. So it was, wouldn't even be a, that much of a gift, to be honest. With yeah, you. we can drive the migrants faster. <laughs> North. Yeah, okay. All right, so now as a Hungarian, I'm opposed to uh, infrastructure funding for Macedonia. Congratulations. <laughs> and, the, and the Chinese even said, okay, you build the highways and then we give you even more money to build the... Uh, railway from uh, Athens to Salonika to Skopje to Belgrade to Budapest. This was the yes. other project. And if we build the, the railway, then we may invest even in the biggest project potential in the region, in the Vardar a river valley, a cascade of dams and canals, which we, which we could theoretically sail a boat from Salonika to Budapest to the Danube uh, uh, directly. And the Americans mm-hmm. say no. And we go to the Zayev, tell him, okay, beg the Europeans for money. And he says, wait, I have another plan. 
<laughs> so he goes to the, he turns to the Americans, who do not give you a grant, who actually force you to pay a very expensive credit to the Bechtel Company, which is the American diplomatic vehicle in the region, which Kosovo, Montenegro, Croatia, they're all forced to give money to and to buy overpriced highways. It's the preferred finance extraction vehicle for the Americans. So instead of turning to the Europeans for a grant, which we are absolutely entitled to, as you said, we are going to the Americans and saying that we will pay out of pocket to Bechtel uh, in a deal which will include no comp competitive bids. So the EU wouldn't be able to give us a grant even if it wanted to, because it's a, a no-bid contract. Bechtel will set their own price, and we're giving them all the remaining infrastructure projects in the country for them to build. So we're, this is how the, the West treats us. It's uh, worse than a colony. In a colony, at least you build a mine or a railway so you can extract its wealth. Here, they're just extracting the, the, the meager financial resources we have. It's a complete betrayal of every single promise. Well, this is why you don't allow socialists to come to power. Because they are not serious about money, to be honest with you, because it's not their money, it's other people's yeah. money always. I think Margaret Thatcher was the one who yeah. said that the problem with socialism is that eventually they run out of other people's money. Yes. <laughs> But the socialists uh, are doing It's well not Zayev who is fine, buying yeah. the infrastructure, uh, the yeah. highways. It's the Macedonian taxpayer who is doing that. Yes, in I, a situation posting Instagram in a, pictures from Bali, Bali and uh, Bora Bora or whatever it's called or Bali, they're, they're okay. Well, he works hard. He needs <laughs> yes. some time to relax. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, basically like our opposition prime ministerial candidate's campaign manager. Uh -huh. He also posted some interesting exotic really? uh, photos <laughs> from his holiday. Yes, they've been doing such a wonderful job recently that the guy really deserved his, yes. his holiday, I suppose. <laughs> Really uh, the, the Hungarian prime ministerial candidate from the opposition is he would be an entertaining character if it wouldn't be so dangerous if they could come to power yes. uh, he makes such elementary political mistakes or seem to uh, yes Yeah, that's why it's important for people to know the example of Macedonia. I mean, Serbia, Vucic always mentions it. Like, look at those Macedonians. They trusted the EU, <laughs> they, their promises. And, because they tell him, okay, you give up Kosovo and we let you join the EU. And Vucic says, yes. And you said the same to Macedonia. And look at them now. He, <laughs> we are very <laughs> cautionary. Tale are, poor are they happily in the EU? Yes, yes. no. So. <laughs> we are the cautionary tale, poor encourageur les autres. Uh, to just yes. remind the others not to go down our path. So, see, this is why uh, I think that Vucic is a very smart guy. So this is why I don't understand why he is cooperating with Soros in the mm. Open Balkans uh, initiative. Still a very difficult thing to... If he thinks that he can outsmart Soros, mm. then I hope he is right, to be honest with you, even if that might mean something... Uh, less advantageous for Macedonia, say, or Albania, because, I don't know, I, I think, I just think if Soros wins in the region, everybody loses. Yeah, simply. I mean, Vucic is announcing uh, that he's stepping down, Zaev promptly stepped down uh, recently, so I think something is afoot, I think something is up, maybe an endgame uh, scenario along the lines of ethnic partition, which we discussed, which, mm -hmm. you know, we got close to under... Uh, 
uh, Johannes Hahn in the Mogherini in the Commission and under Trump and Grinnell in the White House. Uh, it was a realistic possibility. Uh, it's possible that we might... It would have been actually a very favorable development under Gruevsky because we kept telling the West, listen, uh, you want to do this obviously, you want to cut out this ulcer, uh, but uh, Macedonia will collapse and Bosnia will likely collapse as a, 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 you know, a collateral damage. So you need Gruevsky to keep the country together Mm -hmm. In case you try this, so you, you will have this alternative, you'll have this option. It's a much bigger issue than the Macedonian Greek issue. You brought down Grievsky and destabilized Macedonia to, to resolve a lesser issue, and now you cannot touch the main issue because then you'll have a huge collateral uh, explosion just south of Kosovo. Under Zayev's policy of, you know, giving everything to the Albanians and accepting that Macedonians are Bulgarians, well, in this case, uh, what's the purpose of having a country wedged between Albania and Bulgaria if it is composed of Albanians and Bulgarians? There is no sense of keeping this country, uh, of sustaining it any longer. Let's just call it quits under Zayev's policy, which we have now. <laughs> so, um, Plus, you know, there's the, they, they're going to do this. If they move down this road, they're going to communicate that Bulgaria is already a member of the EU, so this would be a, a way for the Macedonians, at least yeah. the Bulgarian, I'm making air quotes, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, marks here, uh, to, to get inside the EU without actually joining the EU. That's going to be the communication when they start seriously talking about this. Of course, of course. There's nothing new under the sun, by the way. This is already happening somewhere else in the world, and that's Moldova. Yes, so yes, yes. That's that's been tried out, and it's it's already been it's already being done in Moldova, which is yeah. a rather complicated thing. Yeah. But this look uh, from from the point of view of uh, Hungary, this is extremely dangerous because why? Uh, if they start messing with this, if they are serious about partitioning another country on the Balkans, mm -hmm. as they still haven't managed to resolve Bosnia. How many years? 17 years after it supposedly has, has been settled. Mm. It's, just, uh, it's just so irresponsible and short-sighted yes. and stupid and destabilizing that I wouldn't believe that they are capable of doing something like that if I hadn't seen what they had done to the Middle East. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was stupid. Yes. As after Iraq to go into and start a, a revolution and support the revolution in Libya was already fucking stupid. Excuse my French there. But I think the word is warranted here. But after Iraq and Libya, to move in and support the democratic terrorists in Syria, mm. who does that? And, and it seems to me the, the attitude is the same cavalier, yes. stupid attitude to the Balkans. And remember and how I mean, the left, how the Soros network was opposed to Iraq, saying this is going to end up badly. And then once Obama is in charge, they are encouraging colored revolutions with even worse, even more disastrous yeah. results in Syria and Libya. Yeah, well, I think the Soros network was just against the W, George W. Bush. Yes. Yeah. And even then, only on some issues, by the way. Yeah, they're sure they're See. capable of the same, even worse blunders. Once they have power, they're just opposed Bush because they're <coughs> not in power at the moment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sad. Well, uh, don't go down I, the same path. 
Yeah, I'm, unfortunately, I'm generally speaking, I'm not a huge optimist about our future in the next few decades, to be honest with you, Svetil. But I haven't become more optimistic after our conversation now. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I can't stress this enough. The Balkans is a fantastic region with amazing people who live there yeah. and with a rich, rich history. Yes. Uh, just, to, just to mention one thing, probably our listeners don't know, if most of them are Macedonian, then they do know. But Justinian, mm-hmm. the, the father of modern uh, jurisprudence, yes. I mean, the pa- patron saint of lawyers, basically. Yes. <laughs> where, where was he born? A few he was born... kilometers south of where I stand now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how much uh, the Balkans is the, basically the... True. One of the hearts of, of Europe. And the number of Roman emperors who were born in the region, that's, I mean, it's well over 20. Yes. And some of the most brilliant uh, Roman uh, emperors like Aurelian uh, were born mm-hmm. in, in the region, in the Balkans. And, uh, yeah, so people should remember this. The Balkans is a, the, one of the beating hearts of, of Europe. I don't mean the European Union, of course, but Europe is more than just the European Union. Of course. And we should all try to, well, at least hope that things get better and progress, right? Yes, we are trying to stench the, the bleeding and uh, stem the flow and uh, uh, save what is salvageable. You know, Hungary has been tremendous help here. It's the only, let's say, realistic conservative uh, power in, the, um, in Europe, perhaps, that is, is, is willing to invest, help out, uh, uh, connect uh, conservatives, uh, put some form of organized resistance. Uh, we've well. seen that, you know, uh, much better equipped, much more resourceful countries like the US under Trump or the UK under Johnson, they have not been able to play this role. They have not been willing to control their own bureaucracies, diplomats and uh, reverse the policies. Um, but yes, at least in Hungary and Poland, we have a rare example of uh, international conservatism, which, uh, you know, so far the, the left has been all about uh, uh, working together to defeat their common, uh, working jointly to defeat, defeat their enemies one by one. Yeah. While uh, conservatives, we have all our historic issues, so a Macedonian conservative will quickly get into a fight when discussing matters with a Serbian or a Bulgarian or a Greek, God forbid, conservative. Uh, it's difficult enough talking to a Greek lefty or a liberal <laughs> who might accept some positions, <laughs> some moderate mm-hmm. positions. And the left does not have these um, columns. It's, it uh, does not have these reservations. And this is why they're beating us at the international arena while we are able to still beat them at the nation state level, but then oftentimes uh, lose the battle under international pressure. Well, well, look, we are trying. We are fighting hard. You know, there's uh, an election coming up in Hungary, so please have your fingers crossed for <laughs> us, or or help out on the social networks. Uh, I'm talking to the our listeners here because I know Svetin, you are helping already much on Twitter. But you do join the fight. We conservatives must have our, our voices heard, and we should. Uh, you know, I I think we have to give. Credit where it's due. The left is very good at uh, at networking and creating uh, international, transnational organizations, yes. networks, influence uh, operations. We have to learn from that. This is 
uh, yeah, this is a war, if it's a new kind of war, but it's a war, and if the enemy has a weapon that seems to be useful, and it is useful in practice, mm -hmm. then we ourselves must have that weapon, okay. right? So I encourage the conservatives, individuals and organizations, to, to form groups, to seek each other out, to find ways to cooperate, yes. because that's a weapon in this war, and we should be using it. Absolutely. Well, with this, I think we can... Uh conclude our first ever podcast, uh, which we still haven't even named yet. <laughs> we have to figure that out. Um, but hopefully this was interesting to our listeners. Hopefully uh, some lessons will be drawn or at least uh, some, it, or at least it would be inter entertaining to some of the Balkan watchers to, to, to hear possibly a different voice than the one they would usually hear at the usual outlets and the usual approved sources. Then thank you very much as well. It was a great pleasure. Likewise.